Good morning and welcome everyone. I'm Nigel and I'll be leading in the service today. Welcome if you've not come here before. We want to welcome some of our friends who've come back to join us again, members. Um, Josh and Helen are back from Africa, so huge welcome to you and it's lovely to see you back. And I'm just going to now invite Alan to come up and read the word to us. Let's pray as we come to read God's word. Father, we thank you that we have your word easily accessible to us in our language, in many versions, and in many different formats. We are truly blessed. And we pray that you would give us insight as we read your word. Help us to see what this uh, passage from the Old Testament has to say to us uh, in the 21st century. We pray your blessing on us as we read, as we listen to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The reading's in two parts, from Hosea chapter 12 and also chapter 14. Hosea chapter 12 is on page 909 in the smaller church Bibles or on page 1375 in the large print church Bible. (coughs) And we're again to start the reading at the beginning of the uh, passage headed Israel's sin which is actually the last verse of the previous chapter, chapter 11. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, Israel with deceit, and Judah is unruly against God, even against the faithful Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind, He pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. He makes a treaty with Assyria and sends olive oil to Egypt. The Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favour. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Lord God is his name. But you must return to your God. Maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. And now in chapter 14, headed Repentance to Bring Blessing. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. 
we will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in, in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I'm like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But the rebellious stumble in them. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. just going to come back to the psalm that we started with, Psalm 34, and just use that um, just to frame our time of prayer together. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Lord, we come to you this morning as our mighty, holy, all-powerful, awesome God, the ancient of days. And Lord, we just bring our praise to you. Lord, thank you that you're a powerful and mighty God who can save, who can change our hearts. Lord, who can do anything. And Lord, we just worship you this morning. And we give you glory. Lord, but also we know that we are far from perfect. Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. So, Lord, in reverence, Lord, we just confess that at times, Lord, our lives fall short of your glory. Let's just take a moment now just to give back to God and confess to him areas where we know that we've let him down, where we haven't listened to him or obeyed him, and we haven't pleased him. Lord Jesus, we know that our lives often fall short in what we do. Lord, in the good that we would do but don't. Lord, and sometimes, Lord, just through the fact that we just don't want to do what's right. Lord, I just pray that we would have hearts that are malleable and responsive to you. And Lord, also hearts that forgive others as well. Lord, when they've wronged us. So Lord, we confess our sins to you now. And we pray that you would forgive us. And Lord, we lift our request to you now. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their cry. 
But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. Lord, there are so many things in our world that we would lift before you. Father, Lord, whether it's the continuing war in Ukraine and, Lord, the things that are happening there. Father, in that nation, we pray that you would be attentive to the, um, the cry of those who love you. Father, to the vulnerable, to the needy. Lord, we see the impact across the world, Lord, even on food supplies. And Lord, we pray that you would release much needed food, particularly to go to countries where there's desperate need. And Father, we pray for your church across the world today, gathered in your name. Father, in many countries, the Lord, churches can't meet without risk of persecution. And Father, we pray that your church would be faithful, that people would come to you knowing that you're a good God. And Lord, that you hear the cry of Father of those who are afflicted. Lord, we just pray, Father, um, particularly for countries like Afghanistan and Korea, Lord, where it comes at such great risk to meet in your name. But Lord, there are so many countries, Lord, where believers are in real danger, Lord, when they meet to praise you. But Lord, again, we pray for your church throughout the world. Lord, in our own land, we pray that there would be good governance and good leadership. Lord, we just pray um, in the um, process of choosing a new prime minister, Lord, that your hand would be in that process. And Lord, we just lift the opposition parties to you as well, that there would be good opposition. And Lord, we just pray for our royal family as well. We lift them before you and pray that we would have a land, Lord, that honours your name. And Lord, where your church is allowed to flourish. The angel of the Lord encamps round those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Father, Lord, we just thank you for the continued blessing on the work of our um, friends in Romania. Lord, for Julian and Lydia as they serve, and Father, as Julian leads that church. Father, we continue to pray that they would know your protection, your blessing, and your anointing on the work that they're doing. Father, we just pray for the work with the cadets, for the buildings used for the sports activities, and Lord, for their ministry, Father, to Ukrainian refugees, and for the work in Ukraine. Lord, we just pray that you'd continue to bless them. And Father, we just pray for our involvement with them as a church community. And just thank you particularly that Alan's got the opportunity to go out and visit them uh, in in August. We just pray that um, that would be a particular blessing, Father, that it would be a great opportunity to strengthen the ties and, Father, to renew the friendship, Father. Just pray that you'd anoint his time there. Uh, and it would just be, your hand would really be on it, Lord. And Lord, we lift the many requests that we have before you. 
Father, for needs in our own church community. And we lift those before you now. Let's just take a, a couple of moments to do that. Lord, we pray for those who continue to um, struggle with the impacts of loss. Just think of Val. We just think of Lila and their families, Lord. And just lift them before you. Lord, we just think of those who have particular health needs at the moment. We pray for your continued hand on Jen's life. And Lord, we just thank you that you enabled her to come out of hospital um, this weekend. We just thank you for that. Thank you for answered prayer, Lord. And Lord, we just pray for members of our church community who are in Keswick this week, Lord, that you particularly bless them. And that um, the time that they have, spending time together and spending time with other Christians, listening to your word, Father, we just pray that that would be a particularly anointed time. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for all of your provision, for answered prayer. Lord, thank you for the assurance we have. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Lord, thank you for that promise of forgiveness. For the promise that those who take refuge in you, Lord, will be safe. Lord, we give you thanks for that. And Lord, as we come to the rest of the service, Lord, as we've heard from your word, as we've worshipped you in song, and as Neil comes to preach, Father, we just pray that we would actually respond to your love language. Lord, because that is obedience. Lord, you say that those who follow, follow me, or those who um, love me, will follow my commands. And Lord, I just pray that today our hearts will be ones that respond to you and that follow your commands. Lord, we just bless you now and lift our prayers before you. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Well, we've uh, just prayed, haven't we? So let's uh, let's go straight into God's Word in Hosea. Uh, have you have your Bibles open in front of you? We're going to be looking at uh, the passages that were read to us from 11 to 14. And you might have noticed when that passage was read earlier on that it mentions somebody called Jacob. Now, um, for the benefit of those who don't know much about him, or to remind those who do, he was one of the twin sons of uh, Isaac, who we read about in the book of, uh, J- uh, book of Genesis. Um, he was born second, so technically he was the, uh, the younger brother, but came out grasping his, his brother's heel. And if you look at the footnote to um, Hosea 12, verse 2, it says that the name Jacob means he grasps the heel which is a Hebrew idiom that he takes advantage of, or he deceives. Jacob wasn't content with what he had. He wanted what was due to the the firstborn child, and so he took advantage of his brother, like some unscrupulous scammer. He convinced him to sell his birthright in exchange for a bowl of stew. He later deceived his elderly father Isaac, who had lost his eyesight by that stage, uh, into giving him his blessing by pretending to be Esau. But when Esau heard about it, he was furious. He threatened to, to kill Jacob. 
So Jacob fled to his uncle Laban's in the land of Haran. There he fell in love with his daughter, um, Laban's daughter Rachel, and agreed to work for seven years in exchange for her hand in marriage. But this time he got some of his own medicine because uh, Laban tricked him into marrying uh, his elder daughter Leah instead. So undeterred, Jacob uh, agreed to work another seven years to be able to marry Rachel as well. And after that, he continued living there in that land. And we were left thinking, well, would Jacob ever return? Would he ever return to his homeland? Would he see his parents again? Would he be reconciled to his brother Esau? Would he be reconciled to God? I'm sure it's a question that many of you may ask yourselves about um, loved ones you know who have walked away from the Lord. Will they ever return? And that's the question we've been confronted with over the past few weeks as we've worked through this, this book of Hosea together. We've seen just how loving and gracious and faithful God is in spite of the rebellion and the unfaithfulness of his people. We've had an insight into the heart of God and seen just how much pain the unfaithfulness of his people causes him. And yet how he was, he's still winning, willing to show compassion. Which is why he decided to demonstrate to his people what uh, he was feeling in vivid ways which they might understand. So he called the, the prophet Hosea to marry a promiscuous wife who would have children with other lovers. And last week and this week, the, the broken relationship between God and his people is illustrated through that of a father and his rebellious son. And hopefully it's helped us to see how we too grieve God with our own unfaithfulness and the way we love and treasure other things or people more than God and the way we are unwilling to acknowledge God is the one who made us and who provides us with all the good things that we have to enjoy in this life. And the way we seek to do things in our own strength as if we don't need God. In the book of Isaiah, we see God pleading with his people to turn away from their rebellious ways and return to him and receive his blessings. Well, the book of Isaiah contains three similar cycles of accusation, judgment, and restoration. And last week, we asked the question, um, how can God be both a holy God who loves justice and a loving God who loves compassion? The answer was by sending someone else to take the punishment that we deserve. And so he sent Jesus, who is fully God, fully man. And by dying for us, he turned aside God's anger and he enabled God to justify, to declare innocent those who had put their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, this week, as we come to the end of the book, we see the third cycle, which is like a final warning for Israel, a final plea. We're going to focus on chapter 14, but we will refer back to chapters 12 and 13 as well. Because chapter 14 is a similar call to repentance and restoration of his people that we saw in chapter 6 and chapter 11. And it comprises the steps we need to take if we are to return to God and enjoy a relationship with him. Three steps. Ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins. Receive the Lord's healing. 
with salvation, receive his love and blessing, and seek the Lord's wisdom and walk in his ways. So let's look at the first of those. Ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins. Let's have a look at the beginning of chapter 14. It says this, return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. To be able to ask forgiveness for our sins, we first of all need to acknowledge them, don't we? Which is harder than it sounds. Because by nature we are those who are blind to our sins. We see everybody else's faults. That's quite easy, isn't it? But we're blind to our own. Our pride holds us back from accepting that we might be wrong. Our society teaches us that failure is a sign of weakness. Don't admit it. Insurance companies tell us not to acknowledge that you were at fault when you have a car accident. To ask God to forgive us, we have to first return to him. Are we heading in the wrong direction, away from him? We have to do a U-turn and go back to him. In the words of those early sat-navs, we have to turn around when possible. I'm not sure they say that anymore. I think they decided it was too dangerous. Um, could cause a collision. But a spiritual U-turn is a hard thing to do because you are liable to have a collision. A collision with your pride. But it's an essential first step. We've looked at different aspects of sin in this, this series. Um, but what are the particular aspects of sin in this passage that it focuses on this morning? That we need to acknowledge that we need to ask forgiveness for. Well, the first is deceitfulness. Look back to chapter 11, verse 12, what it says there. Sorry, it's not on the screen. But said, chapter 11, verse 12 says, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, Israel with deceit, and Judah is unruly, Against God, even against the faithful Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind, he pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. To be surrounded by lies and deceit suggests this isn't an isolated incident, but the deceit characterizes the, the life of Israel. It's become an accepted part of what they do. It's part of business. If we look at verse 7, it says there, the merchant uses dishonest scales and loves to defraud. The more people lie, the less they realize what they're doing. It becomes ingrained in them. And it therefore becomes harder to trust them. Why do people deceive others? Why do people lie? Well, it's either to get something uh, they can't get through legitimate means, or to avoid getting punished for something they've done wrong that they know was wrong, to cover it up. Well, the example the passage gives of a deceitful person is, as we mentioned before, Jacob, the father of Israel. Chapter 12, verse 2 says, The Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. 
We've mentioned how Jacob was deceitful towards his brother and father. He himself was deceived by his uncle. He deceived his uncle to get more flocks before he, he left him to return to his homeland. His wife Rachel also stole from her father before, before they left. Jacob spent his life using deceitful means to get what he wanted instead of trusting God. And when he did finally decide to return to his homeland, he was afraid of his brother Esau. Did he still want to kill him as he threatened to do so many years before? And so he prayed for, for God's help. But not relying on that, he then sent a, a large gift of, of livestock and servants, a bit of a bribe if you like, to win his favor, the favor of his brother. That night, Jacob wrestled with an angel of God. And in verse 4 of chapter 12, it says, He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He overcame him, not in the sense of defeating him, but getting the blessing he wanted. And the angel said he would no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because he had struggled with God and overcome. And it was the sons of Jacob who were who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, the reason Hosea seems to have mentioned Jacob in chapter 12 is first to compare his deceitfulness with that of the nation of Israel, but then to make clear that just as Jacob found the Lord's blessing, so do they need to do the same. And so it says in verse 6, but you must return to your God, maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. In other words, get rid of your deceitful ways. Trust in God. I wonder to what extent are we guilty of deceit? We may not be blatantly deceitful like Jacob was, but how often do we, do we distort the truth to put ourselves in a, in a more flattering light, to impress others? How often do we gloss over the the negative aspects of a story so people don't think quite so badly of us. We might be able to deceive other people, but we can't deceive God. He sees everything. And it's God we should be fearing and not other people. Well, another sin mentioned in this passage is one that's come up a few times already in this uh, book. It is trusting in human power. Verse 1 of chapter 12 says, He, uh, Israel, makes, an Assyria, makes a treaty with Assyria. He sends olive oil to Egypt. Instead of trusting in God and seeking his help, Israel is more keen to, to do deals uh, with powerful nations to keep um, them on side, to protect them against enemy nations. How true is that of us as a country today? As an indication of how far our country has turned its back on God. In May 1940, King George VI called a national day of prayer when our troops were marooned at Dunkirk. Millions went to pray. There were queues outside churches throughout the country. The king broadcast to the nation urging his people to return to God in a spirit of repentance, to ask God for his help. 
Two events immediately followed. A storm arose over Dunkirk, so rough that it grounded the German Luftwaffe, who were killing soldiers on the beach. And then a calm settled on the channel, allowing all those uh, little boats that you may have seen in the film Dunkirk to to rescue over 335,000 soldiers. When was the last national day of prayer when our country returned to God and asked for his help? Today, our answer to concerns about national security and the threat from Russia or China is simply to increase our defense spending as if we are somehow in control and we don't need God. It's God who has graciously granted us peace in Europe for nearly 80 years. And we need to pray that he will bring the war in Ukraine to an end, that he will restore peace and in the process bring people to him. Well, finally, Israel is trusting in wealth. Have a look at verse 8. Of chapter 12, it says, Ephraim boasts, I am very rich. I've become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. What did God say to Israel before they entered the promised land? Remember those words of warning in Deuteronomy? He said, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you today. Well, the people of Israel have done that. They've forgotten. They think they are responsible for all their wealth. They're not acknowledging God's wonderful provision. They're even claiming some sort of link between their wealth and their their innocence. But God says in the next verse, I have been the Lord your God ever since you came out of Egypt. He repeats the same sentence in verse 4 of chapter 13. I have been the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God ever since you came out of Egypt. You owe your freedom, your existence, your identity, everything you have to me. And he threatens to remove that all just to make it clear to them. He carries on. In verse 6, when I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. Again, I wonder if we're guilty of the same sin. We, We are thankful to God for our salvation, for our rescue. But when we receive God's blessings, we fail to thank him for them because, um, well, maybe we somehow think we have earned them. We've done that in our own strength. We become satisfied, we become proud, we forget God. Which leads inevitably to looking down on those who have less than we do, as if we somehow deserve what we have, and they deserve what they don't have. To ensure we never forget what God has done for us, we need to be those who are full of thankfulness, to express those thanks in prayers, both individually and as we come together as a church, is as we remember what God has done for us in the past, that we will have confidence that he will give us what we need in the future. We're going back to chapter 14 and verse 3. Israel acknowledges that neither other nations nor her own wealth or strength can save her. This is part of her repentance. 
the people come and they say, Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. And so they're asking that God would forgive them their sins, not because of anything they have done to deserve that, but because of his compassion. So having returned to the Lord, having asked for his forgiveness, it is then that we are able to receive his healing, love, and blessing. Verse 4 says, words of the Lord, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. Waywardness, the the temptation to turn away from God, is part of our, our natural sinful nature. God is saying, I know that you are weak. I know that you are unable to do what you want to do. You're unable to do what you know is right. But I will heal you from that. It requires a miracle by God for us to be able to receive his healing, to receive his love. But God is gracious enough to do that. Last week we saw how God turned his his anger away from, from us. By turning it towards Jesus, who took the punishment that we deserved on the cross. Isaiah 53, it says the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Well, once we have received his healing and love, we're able to receive his blessing. Uh, Look at verse 5. I will be like the dew to Israel, who will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Wonderful words of blessing, aren't they? God describes himself as the dew, the moisture that brings life to plants. He will give spiritual life to Israel, which will transform them. It will enable them to to blossom like a beautiful lily. They will grow strong like a, a cedar tree with deep roots so that they cannot easily be destroyed. And the new fruitfulness of Israel is compared with an olive tree, a grain field, a vine that produces a famous wine from Lebanon. Israel will no longer need to have anything to do with idols because God will be caring for them, it says. He'll be making them fruitful. When do we experience these blessings? Well, some of them now, as we put our trust in Jesus. The greatest blessing is to enjoy being at peace with God, which we can experience right now. But others will come in the life to come. This is a picture of a restored garden of Eden. When Christ comes again, he will restore the whole of creation. He will make all things new. There will no longer be sin. God's plan for humankind will have been accomplished. The world will be a new paradise, a paradise on earth for those who have repented and put their trust in Jesus. Jacob may have been deceitful in his early years and pay the punishment in terms of 20 years of exile. 
But God in his grace enabled him to return. And he was desperate for God's blessings. How desperate are we for the Lord's blessings? Are we as desperate as Jacob was? Or do we feel that we we have all we need, really? We're saved. If you're a Christian, we know we're going to heaven. We've got a lot of material comforts. From time to time, we have struggles in our life that come along, and we will pray for God to relieve us of those. But then we'll go back to enjoying the things of this world. God wants us to know his love more deeply. He wants us to walk with him more closely and enjoy that wonderful relationship with him. That's why he made us. Which brings us on to the last point, to seek the Lord's wisdom and walk in his ways. Look at verse 9 of chapter 14, last verse of this book. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. This is like a final exhortation. Do you realize the full impact of what God is saying here? Do you realize just how blessed you're going to be? In which case, make sure you know the ways of the Lord and you walk in them. Make sure you submit to his ways. If you say you believe in Jesus, it has to make a difference to your life. There can be no more deceitfulness, no more trusting in your own strength or in any human power, but trusting in God's love that is the, the power to overcome sin and wanting to walk in that love. To walk in God's way is to live holy lives, to live lives of righteousness, to become more like Jesus. And it's the Spirit who enables us to do that. That's why we're called to walk in step with the Spirit. One of the ways in which he, he does that is by reminding us of where we came from, the huge significance of what Christ achieved for us on the cross. Look back at where you came from. Christ has purified us from sin. He's reconciled us to God. Then if you've seen the Recent TV series, Freddie's Flintoff's Field of Dreams. In case you don't know who Freddie Flintoff is, he's a former England cricket captain. He now sort of presents Top Gear. And he went back to his hometown of, of Preston to introduce cricket to kids um, from the deprived parts of the city. Most have been excluded from school, had uh, big behavioural issues, had no sense of meaning or hope for their lives. None of them have ever played cricket. Just thought it was a posh kids game. Uh, Freddie was just a normal Preston lad, but for him, cricket had been a means of escape from that way of life, and he wanted to give something back to the, the, the city where he came from. But if cricket can do that for these kids, think of just how much more important is what Jesus has done for us, and the hope that we can find in Him. As Paul wrote to. Ephesians, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ.
It's the wonder of that act of love that has given us hope. It's given us a relationship with God that drives us on to walk in his ways. And the question is, are we convinced that the ways of the Lord are right? Or do we think, well, it works for me, but um, you know, if cricket or something else works for you, then that's absolutely fine. Jesus gave up the glory of heaven. He humbled himself to come to this earth. He gave up his life for us that we can be made right with God. He taught us that there is only one way to God, and that is through trusting in him and what he has done for us. Faith in Jesus is not just a a nice hobby. It's a way of life that is founded on the love of God and that will last for eternity. The alternative is a place where there will be no restraint to the deceit and pride and fighting and all the rest of the sin that we have seen in this life. So if you haven't done so already, can I urge you to return to the Lord God and seek his blessing. He longs to pour out his blessings on you. And if you have returned to the Lord, we'll seek his wisdom, which we'll find in his word. Walk in his ways. Pray for the Spirit to give you strength. The more time we spend with the Lord, the more time we understand his love and faithfulness, the more we will want to be faithful to him. The more we will want to walk in his ways, the more we will know his many blessings. So I hope as we've come to the end of this series in Hosea that it has been an encouragement to you. I hope it has helped you to to know God better. I hope it's encouraged you to walk in his ways. One question for you to maybe share with one another afterwards. Just reflect on what has this book taught you about God? What has it taught you about yourself? And how will it change your relationship with him? Let's just spend a moment to reflect on that. Um, and then I'll close in prayer in a minute. Let's uh, moment of quiet. Father God, we thank you for revealing something of your heart to us through this sermon series. Just how much it it grieves you and pains you when you see the, the sin of your people. When you see us acting in ways which dishonor you, trusting in our own strength, acting deceitfully. Acting as if we don't really need you. But we love and treasure and get excited by the things of this world more than we do about you. Father, we are sorry for that. And we thank you that you have paid a huge price to deal with our sin. You've sent your son to give up his life for our sakes, to turn your anger away from us, that we can be reconciled to you, that we can be treated by you as if we've never sinned, as if we are innocent. We thank you for that wonderful love, that wonderful grace.
Father, help us not to treat that grace cheaply. Help us to see it for the huge, generous thing it has been for us. And as a result, help us to live lives that are full of love and and gratitude for what you've done. Help us to live more closely to you. Help us to seek your blessings each day. Help us to express our gratitude for what you've done for us and continue to do for us. Father, flood our lives with your spirit, helping us to walk in your ways and know your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If the Lord has touched you, I hope he has this morning, then we don't keep that to ourselves. We go out from here to spread that, don't we? To shine that light into the world. So let's pray as we close. Father God, we thank you again for your wonderful grace, for your wonderful goodness. Thank you that you have filled us. We pray you would send us out from here into the world which is lost and hopeless without Jesus Christ. Lord, use us, we pray this week, to speak hope into the lives of those who we come across who you have uh, brought us into their lives for a reason. Lord, may we shine the light of Christ into that darkness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.